Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Hello. Hello there. No one got it? That's just me? Hello there. Okay, some people get it, some people don't. You're supposed to say General Kenobi. All right, just kidding. So we did this Star Wars thing as like a fun joke, and I think like half the people are hiding their like obsessive love for Star Wars. There's like 10% of people in the room that are like, yes, this is great. Some people brought Boba Fett helmets. It's awesome. Anyways, if you are new tonight, we don't usually do this, right? It's kind of like one of those nights where you encourage someone to invite a friend, and now people in the room are like, we're not this nerdy. I don't know why you asked me to invite a friend on this night. Um, anyways, anyways, all that to say, welcome. Super glad that you joined us. My name is Noah. Help lead our youth ministry here at NGC. And we are super glad that you are here. If there has not been someone who's talked to you or connected with you or been like, hey, welcome, we would love to talk to you. I would love to meet you. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being here this morning. Or nope, it's not the morning. It's the afternoon time or the evening. Thanks, Caleb. I know you're right there in the front row to correct me. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to talk more about our favorite Bible character tonight, Melchizedek. He's back in the book of Hebrews again, which we're excited to talk about. But I promise you, if you've been following along with us, if you've been listening in, if you've been Uh, reading through Hebrews, or if you've just been listening to my voice, I promise you, everything's going to start to come together tonight. Every piece, every string, every idea, every thought, every argument, the author of Hebrews is kind of bringing it all together in a couple of amazing, powerful, beautiful verses. Verses that when we understand them, we believe them, will change everything about us. Verses that stand as perfect representation of what God is, what he has done, and what he has always desired to do. We're going to talk about perfection today in Scripture. We're going to talk about perfection, and there's mentioned here two times in the few verses, how Jesus was perfect, how we couldn't have achieved perfection, And I was thinking about this idea of perfection. I was thinking about our Star Wars thing tonight and how fun it was. And I was remembering a time in my life where I was very excited for the sequel trilogy to come out. This was back in like 2014, 2015, maybe, probably 2014, when the trailers were first coming out for The Force Awakens. And I was like, you know what? This looks awesome. This looks perfect. It looks like nothing is wrong with this movie. Now, Star Wars fans in the room, I promise, if you're not a Star Wars fan, I'm not going to talk about it all night. I'm just follow along with this opening illustration. Star Wars fans have been duped a few times, right? They've been so excited for content to come out, and they're like, it looks perfect. They see it, and they're like, this is horrible, right? Most Star Wars fans are known for what they don't like versus what they do like, kind of like Christians sometimes, but that's another point. But like... 
It's true. Think about it. Think about it. Just saying. All right. I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, Star Wars fans are famous for what they like kind of despise and everyone knows what they dislike. But all this to say, I thought going into The Force Awakens, it was going to be a perfect movie. And for about 10 seconds, I did think it was perfect. And then I kind of was driving home. I think this was in high school or maybe my freshman year. It was my freshman year of college, so the end of 2015. And I was driving home, and I was like, you know what? It was all right. It was fine. Right? I don't know. There were some flaws in it. A couple years later, The Last Jedi just looks phenomenal. Looks awesome. The trailer's cool. Luke says a couple weird things, but I'm like, whatever. The movie's going to be great. And I'm halfway through the movie, and I'm like, this is terrible. I hate this. Everything about this is horrible. So anyways, if you remember this, you're probably younger, but Star Wars fans were up in arms at one another. Was it good? Was it not? Anyways, we're like, we got one more movie in this trilogy. Hopefully it ties it all together. There's all this controversy of who's directing it, who's writing it. Nobody really knows to this day who did anything. Anyways, the last movie comes out, and I go to this film with two of the biggest Star Wars fans that I know to this day. They argue about who is the biggest Star Wars fan. They could take anybody in the room on a Star Wars trivia quiz, either of them, both huge Star Wars fans. And we go into this hoping, just maybe, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be perfect. Maybe it'll be everything we need it to be. We go into the movie, and there's one line that makes me realize this movie is never, ever, I'm never going to like it. It's one line that the character Poe Dameron says at the end, towards the end, and he looks and he's talking to the Rebel Alliance in this moment. And he says, somehow Palpatine returned. And I was just like, is that really all they're going to say for the whole movie to explain this major plot point? And the answer was yes. And I said, this movie is horrible. Anyways, I walked out of that theater. And I'm not kidding you. My friend who had... Some differing opinion. My friends, they walked out of the theater arm in arm, giggling over how much they loved it. Until the next day, we were like, so was it kind of weird that Ben Solo and Ray kissed? Was that just weird? And we're like, yeah, that was weird, right? And we're like, yeah. No, it was weird. All right, don't, no. We're just not going to talk about it right now. It's weird. Strange. And then like, spoiler alert, just, nah, I'm not going to get into it. No movie can live up to the title or the expectations of perfect. All right, we throw this word out there a lot, perfect or amazing or fat, whatever the word is in your mind. We throw it around a lot. Maybe you're talking about food and you're like, you know what sounds great? A Wendy's five for five or $5 biggie bag. For whatever reason, after a long night of youth group, it's just perfect. All right, it's, they changed the four for four. It's not four for four. It's $5 biggie bag because of inflation. Do they do have two? They got both? No, I think it's just five now. Is it just five? They got rid of one of them. Yeah, I know. I'm telling you. I know. Inflation. Inflation. All right, we're getting to the point. There are, we throw this idea of perfect around way too much. But the reality is nothing is perfect on this side of heaven. Every experience is tainted by sin. Every expectation 
every journey we set out on, good or evil, none of it can live up to the expectation of perfect. But what is really difficult to understand and what's really tricky to kind of comprehend is that God himself is perfect. And in order to be in relationship with God and to um, have relationship with a perfect God, you and I also have to be perfect. You and I have to be perfect. In order to enter into the presence of God, in order to be in relationship with him, in order to have an open dialogue with the living God, I cannot be sinful. I have to be perfect. But how can this be? How can this work? If we have a perfect God and a sinful me and sinful desires and a sinful heart, how can these two parties be reconciled together? And the answer is, of course, through one person who is both fully God and both fully man, lived a perfect life, our perfect priest. We're going to continue to read in Hebrews, which is kind of repetitive, I'm realizing, but it's okay. It's awesome. It's super cool. And the author of Hebrews is speaking to an audience that would have been so tied and connected to their old ways of thinking. There is the law. There is the ceremonial cleansing. There is the priest that atones for our sins through the sacrifice. And I am required to follow the law every step of the way. And the author of Hebrews is doing this amazing thing to this audience. And he is saying, look, there is somebody who is greater. Greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than Melchizedek, our favorite Bible character. He's better than all these people. And he has made a way for you and I to be made perfect. Not on this earth, but because of the perfect and imputed righteousness of Jesus. And that's where he continues his argument here in verse 11. He says, now, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is, a necessarily, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one who uh, these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection to the tribe of Moses said nothing, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing of the priests. This became more evident when another priest arrives in the likeness of Melchizedek, for uh, <clears throat> whom has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is witnessed of him, you are my priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Here we have Christ, and this summary of these few verses is found in that word in verse 16, that phrase in verse 16, in indestructible life. Jesus lived in indestructible life. That's like a really cool way to say that Jesus was perfect. So we're going to look at this passage 
a couple verses at a time and ask yourself, okay, what is happening in here? Again, these words don't exactly strike us the way a first century Jew would have probably listened to this thing. This thing would have been a mind blower for somebody listening and understanding and connected to the old ways and the old way of, Christ, the old way of God and now understanding that their new relationship with God is found and established through Jesus. This would have been an absolute mind blower. So a big issue that the author is tackling here is this idea of where Jesus is from, where Jesus is from. And like we've established a few times, you can throw up, I want to see that picture of the, um, the priest in the tabernacle again, if you see it, or in the temple. Um, there's this idea, there's this establishment of the Levitical priest, and we see it here in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, okay, cool, let's stop there. The Levites was the tribe from Moses' brother, Aaron. These guys were responsible for, like we've said before, being and, and, and operating as somebody who stands in the gap between me and God. This is what the priests were supposed to do. These priests, now this was a line of people from father to son to son to son to son and so on. This is a lineage that is just determined by who your dad was. And if you were a male and if you were living at the time, you were called to be a priest. And so these priests were taken very good care of. The rest of the tribes had to pay a tithe to this line so that they could stand in the gap. They had to go and they had to offer sacrifices daily for their own sins first. They had to make a sacrifice for their own sins, which is why they had to get you know, paid a decent amount, 10% of all of Israel, because there's a lot of animals to kill. Um, a lot, like billions over these years. And... Um, they have to ceremonial cleanse themselves, kill the first sacrifice, cleanse themselves again, and then offer a sacrifice for the people. It was this ongoing process that had to be obtained. And the idea here that the author is tackling, and he is showing that Jesus was not from the Levitical line. You see, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. It says here in verse 13, for the one of whom these things were spoken, Jesus, for Jesus belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. That is true. No one, except for those in the tribes of Levi, would have been able to approach the altar of God on the day of atonement to make a sacrifice for sins. But we learned this story yesterday of, or yesterday, last week, not yesterday, unless you were watching the video from last week, yesterday, maybe. But um, we learned this story from last week, that Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek, and Abraham pays a tithe to Melchizedek, but the Levitical line would eventually be, um, go, would go forth from Abraham, which is why the author makes this whole weird connection and says, Jesus is a, a, a Levitical, or Jesus is a priest, not from the tribe of Levi, but Jesus is a priest chosen by God from an entirely different line for an entirely different way. Why? He is a priest in the likeness of verse 15. It says, in the likeness of Melchizedek. And then the author then brings in Psalm 110 one more time to say, you are my priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What is it that qualified Jesus to do this on our behalf. How would this happen? And people at the time 
would have been like, well, it's certainly going to be Jesus because he was from this other tribe. And the author says it very simply in verse 16, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. That's why Jesus was allowed to stand in our place as a high priest, not because of his lineage, but because of who he was and because of the promise that God made to him and because of his indestructible life. He was not destructed by sin and he was not destructed by death. He resurrected from the dead. Both of these things qualify him to be a better priest and a greater priest, just like Melchizedek. And uh, again, the... Um, the great high priest at the time, they couldn't be king. You couldn't have a king and a priest as the same person. The only person we see who does that is Melchizedek, and that is why the author is saying, hey, Jesus is like this. The promise in Psalm 110, that's talking about Jesus. The promise from the lineage of Levi, like this is all pointing to Jesus. That is what the author is saying. He is pointing out Jesus has an indestructible life. What qualifies him to serve? What qualifies him to stand in the gap? It's because nothing has ever tainted his perfection. Nothing. He never compromised on any sin, on any temptation, on any trial. And because of that, he is not our high priest on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but on the power of his indestructible life. Jesus changes everything. Jesus is changing the way we look at scripture. Jesus is changing the way that we are looking at the law and the old covenant. Jesus changes everything. And God in this moment is faithful to flip the script so that you and I can be made perfect through his imputed righteousness. Have you guys ever played like a really complicated game? Right? Like you go to a friend's house, you're like, I, I got this game. It's only like 25 different like little things to keep in mind. And you're always like, oh yeah, let's play a round and then see how it goes. And by like the first round, you're like, I do not understand this game and I think I'm going to lose, but that's okay. I don't know if you've ever felt lost in a moment like that, but I often look at the Old Testament and I look at all these requirements and I think this is some of the most complicated stuff in the world. And the reality is, if you're a new Christian, or even if you've been studying the word for a long time, there could be some very complicated things that we work through in scripture. But what the author is doing here is he is taking this beautiful imagery, this beautiful poetry, these characters, all of it in one, and he is boiling it down to this one idea. Jesus lived an indestructible life. God made a promise to Jesus that he would be the established priest. And because of that alone, he is able to stand and to sit where you and I couldn't. None of us have an indestructible life. I feel like if I stub my toe, my afternoon is ruined. And I'm in a, I've got a bad attitude and maybe, just maybe, I say a bad word. I'm a very, like, fallible human. And if anyone else is honest in church today... They would know that the answer is yes, I am also fallible as well. And the author is painting a picture of Jesus. Yes, he came from the tribe of Judah, but he was also perfect. Yes, he was not a Levite, but he is God's chosen instrument, just like this character Melchizedek. And just like God promised another one would come from the lineage of Melchizedek or in the likeness of the Melchizedekian priesthood. Try saving that. 10 times fast, 
he is saying, this is Jesus. This is who he is. He has lived this indestructible life. So what qualified Jesus for his role? These things. So look at verse 11 again. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest? It's a great hypothetical question. He's saying to this audience, hey, if it was possible for the Levitical priesthood, which was like a cornerstone of the Jewish faith at this time, hey, if it was possible for this guy to do this, why did we need another one? Why would there be this reference in Psalm 101? Why would there be this character that we are looking for? Why would there be, have to be a Messiah? And of course, people have to be saying, well, you've got a good point there. Because perfection is not attainable. And that's true for you and I as well. If it was obtainable through another priest, great, follow them. But it wasn't. Why? Because they had to make sacrifices for themselves. And also there is this other unfortunate situation that happens. Um, every Levitical priest that has ever lived is dead now. Did you realize that? That's an unfortunate thing to recognize when your entire faith is going to be based off someone like this. Um, Jesus didn't die. Jesus did die. He was resurrected. Jesus didn't need to make an, a sacrifice for himself. These two things qualify him and create him and show him as greater. So two reasons why these Levitical priests couldn't do it forever. Uh, they die, and two, they make their own sacrifices for their own sins, meaning they are not perfect. You and I still need to be perfect, though. But it's not obtainable. Think of these guys. These guys would have been keeping the law perfectly. They, were, they would have been trying. Some did, some didn't. Some were really bad priests. So we see examples of bad priests all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. But let's just say we've got the, a great priest. We've got an awesome priest who's trying to keep everything to the letter of the law. Still, perfection was not obtainable. And I don't know about you. I love the Lord. I strive to follow after him. But I know the longer I follow God and the more I know about him, the more I see my own sin in the mirror. So what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this covenant, about this relationship that God has with his people? The author continues in verse 18. He's comparing these two things. We'll see it here in verses 18 through 22. It says, For on the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. There's that word again. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such with an oath. But this was one made by a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are my priest forever. Verse 22 is the key to this whole thing. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This makes Jesus the guarantor of our better covenant. That's the connection. That is the line to know, to have, to keep in mind. For on the one hand, we got two things here. The law, the former commandment, the law was set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but a better hope is introduced. 
one might say, a new hope. I was like debating that one. I was like, the word hope's in it. Can I just change one word, right? No. Um, A better hope is introduced. (laughs) We're having a good time. All right. So a covenant, a covenant is an agreement between God and his people. God is perfect in keeping his covenants, and the people are perfectly bad at not keeping them. They're great at not keeping them. They are perfect in failing at every single covenant God has set before them from time and time and time and time and time and time again. All right, there's multiple uh, examples of the Old Testament of God creating this promise uh, between himself and his people. We got to remember the grand narrative of scripture. God always desires to dwell with his people, but God has always had like rules and standards But he is introducing, God is introducing in this moment, in the time of Christ, a better covenant, a perfect covenant, a covenant that will be established now till forever. On the one hand, a former covenant is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. This is critical This is a huge moment for the listeners in this exact moment. The law that they've been raised in, that many of them would have had memorized, they would have been trying to follow to a T. The author is saying, controversially, and yes to still some people today, this former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Now, this isn't the only time in Scripture we see this. In fact, we see something very similar in Romans chapter 8. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, for the God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We don't know if this was written by Paul. I don't think it is, but the the theology is like the exact same because the Holy Spirit is writing it. But if it wasn't Paul, the author definitely knew Paul or was influenced by him or was maybe also serving with Paul at some point. I don't know. But what is, what is he saying here? The law has been weakened by the flesh. And it's very complicated. It's complex. I've gotten arguments about this with people before. God did set up a perfect law, but this was only temporary to show us that we needed not only rules, we needed a Savior. We didn't need to perfectly keep the law. None of us could, even if we tried. We needed a Savior to save us from the consequences of our sin, which is not keeping the law perfectly. And the author is saying this thing was set aside or discarded or thrown out the window. Why? Because it is brought weakness and uselessness. Because guess what? No matter how hard to try, you try, you cannot make yourself perfect. You can't make yourself perfect. A lot of people think life and morality is like a scale. It's like, all right, I've got my bad things that go on this side of the scale. I've got my good things that go on this side of the scale. At the end of my life, hopefully the good things kind of are down here and the bad things weigh less. And, like, and that's why this idea of, of 
um, humanism and morality or self-morality or karma or whatever it is kind of is so prevalent just almost subconsciously to all of us because we think as long as I tip the scales more this side, I'll be fine. But the reality is this, even if a Levitical priest couldn't keep the law perfectly, even if he had tried, this law is now set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Why? Because nobody is perfect. No, not one. There needed to be a better hope, a new hope, a new relationship with God. And that would be found in his son Christ. But this one was made, to talk about an oath, this priest was established with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and who will not change his mind. You are my priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. We have a new hope. We've got a perfect hope. We have somebody who guarantees our new covenant, and that's Christ. That's who he is. God himself. So every, every Levitical priest had to take an oath. But in this case, God says, I'm picking you. I'm choosing you. You are going to be this forever. You will be established forever. And I'm never going to change my mind. And God kept his word on that. And that's why the author uses this psalm so many times. We have a new hope, a new relationship, a new way to be human, a new way to be a son of God. So how can we obtain this righteousness? How can we obtain this perfection? How can we see the gates of heaven and Jesus face to face? It's found here in the final verses. The encouragement is found here. For the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. That's a very funny way to say these priests can't do it forever because they die when they get old. These former priests were many in number, but were prevented by death from continuing in office. It's like the most like polite way to say people are dying and like they're not perfect. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Levitical priests, they die like they get old. Jesus, not him. He lives forever. His priesthood is permanent. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. How can we draw near to God? Through Jesus. How can we be made perfect? Through Christ. How can we have our sins atoned for? Through our great high priest. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He is the only way you and I can see the gates of heaven. He is the only way that you and I can be forgiven from our sins. He is the only way that we can have a new covenant or a new hope or a new relationship with God. It is through the priest who has been uh, indestructible in life. It is the priest who has been chosen by God. It is the priest who is still alive and still making intercession on our behalf. That's the only way. That's where our hope is found. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, 
unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once and for all, when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Wow. This is where it all starts to make sense. This is where we recognize why the author is talking about Melchizedek so many times. This is why we see him going on this huge long rant about the Levitical priesthood. It's these few verses. Why? Because consequently, because of our perfect priest, he is able to save to the uttermost. Jesus has a permanent ministry here on earth to you and to me. For those in the room who are already Christians, which I know is a lot of you, who have been following Jesus for a long time, Jesus's ministry is permanent. Jesus isn't a, like a fad or like a one-time decision that you have to keep returning to. Jesus' ministry to you and me is permanent. I remember being younger and, and feeling like I had this problem that I had to go every time I sinned and every time I did something wrong, I had to go ask for forgiveness again. And I had to kind of keep my stuff together because I was worried, like, if I didn't ask for forgiveness again and then I accidentally died, like, things would be wrong. Things would not be super great for me in that moment. I had this kind of fear as a kid. But you need to read verses like this if you ever feel that way, if you ever feel anxious about these things. He is able to save to the uttermost. And why? He has no need to offer sacrifices daily. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. This is a permanent and continuing ministry. If Jesus saved you from your sins, you're Christian, then he's continuing to save you. There's nothing else that's going to save you. So often, we think that Jesus can save me from the consequences of my sin and from hell, but God can't save me from this situation. God can't save me from my anxiety. God can't save me from my pain. And verses like this show us the exact opposite. If it was Jesus then, then it's Jesus now because his ministry is permanent and it's continuing to go on. It's not like this thing that you experience at camp and then you like feel terrible a few weeks later. This is a permanent ministry that continues to happen if you would continue to draw near to him. Why? Because he is able to save to the uttermost, meaning there is no sin too dark. There is no backsliding that's so dramatic. There is no moral decisions that are made in such secrecy that God cannot save you from because he is able to save what, verse 25 says, to the uttermost. This is a permanent ministry of Jesus. He's not a one-time thing. It's not a trend or a fad. This is a relationship that continues. He is permanently uh, the one that we return to. And if you're not following after him, I have good news for you. He is able to save. It's great news. It's the best news you'll hear in your whole life. Those who draw near to God through him those who are able to draw near to God is anyone who's alive and has breath in their lungs. That's everyone in this room. It's everyone you see on the street, everyone you talk to in your classroom. 
God can save them to the uttermost from their deepest, darkest sins because he is the permanent priest once and for all. I'm so struck by that word. He did this once and for all when he offered up himself. If it was never your goodness to begin with, it can't be your goodness now. I know so many of us struggle with this feeling of shaping up. And I know sometimes church doesn't help that, to be completely honest. I know that going to church and seeing other people who look like they're doing great in the relationship with God and feeling like separate and alone and anxious in your own relationship, I can know how like going around some people who feel like and act like they have it all together, I know how that doesn't always feel great, but it was never your goodness in the first place. It'll never be your goodness ever again. It was never keeping the law, so it can't be keeping the law now. Are you returning to your priest? Are you? Those who are Christians in the room, are you returning to him constantly? Is the Christian life that simple? I think, yeah, I think so. I love, I love learning stuff. I love theology. But like we got to get the basics settled. If you're struggling with anxiety and, and you're struggling with this guilt of sin, if you're struggling from anxiety because of the weight of sin, the solution is to return back to the one who has saved you to the uttermost. It's to return back to the one whose permanent ministry is continuing to this day. It's not looking the part. It's not acting the part. It's returning to the one who has established your faith in the first place. It is a very simple thing, and it's good news. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. That word intercession, we've talked about this. This is the person who stands in the gap. Perfect God, sinful me. Someone has to intercede. That's Christ. He did that for you. If you're just hearing that now for the first time, this is really good news. What does man need to do in order to be saved? Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. God raised him from the dead. That's it. And if this is your first time hearing that, that promise is for you. If you've known this for a long time, like many of us have, this is an encouragement to you. Do not go anywhere else. We have one priest who has made a sacrifice for one, for all, forever. By one, for all, forever. It is done. That's why I think Jesus says it is finished when he's on that cross. That's why he says it's over. Because in that exact moment, the veil's torn. The weakness and the uselessness of this former law is recognized and the spirit of the living God is no longer behind the veil. It's in anyone who falls after Jesus. It's finished. It's done. It's perfect. Not because of anything you've done, but because of who God is. Jesus, is abolished, Jesus abolished the need for a priest entirely because he fulfilled his role perfectly. And Jesus will continue to do that. There's no need for a priest. 
There's no need for another human who calls themselves a priest to make an atoning sacrifice. It just doesn't need to happen anymore because Jesus kept his role perfectly. Jesus' priesthood is established and held by the promise of God. Look at how, so like, okay, no, how do I know that? How do I know that this is going to be true? How do I know that this is it? Because God promised it. A lot. All the time. Twice. We have a reference to the same verse. Psalm 110. You are my priests forever. The Lord has sworn he will not change his mind. You are my priests forever. This is talking about Jesus. God can't lie. God can't change his promise. And yes, it does require faith. I can't pull out a spreadsheet and show you like numerically how it makes, like I can't scientifically prove all this stuff because it takes faith. It does take faith. It does take trust in the Lord. But God has promised. Jesus' priesthood is established and held by the promise of God, by the word of God, by speaking it into existence. You are my priest forever. And the good news is this. This priest can save and save to the uttermost. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful. We know that, um, we know that this is true because you've said it. We believe it. God, help us to believe in our doubt and in our um, struggle. God, help us with our unbelief. God, I pray for the person in the room who is hearing these things for the first time and they're starting to make sense, or maybe they're just a little bit confused. God, I pray that you would continue to minister to their hearts through your spirit. Uh, God, I pray that anyone around this room uh, would be willing and ready to explain and to show who you are, not just from Scripture, but from their own life, by expressing these things from their own experiences, uh, by living joyfully from the truth of freedom and recognizing that you have freed them. God, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters now those who maybe have backslid into sin, secret sin, um, and they're experiencing grief or anxiety or um, conviction because of that, I pray that you just continue to call them back to yourself. And they would picture you. They would picture you on that cross. And they would picture you as that high priest, the one who stands in your very presence as a sacrifice, as the high priest, God, you didn't need to bring a ram. You didn't need to bring a goat or lamb, but you brought yourself. What a radical and beautiful and insane picture, an insane truth that will change lives for eternity. God, I pray that you would refresh us, remind us of your blood and remind us of the sacrifice that we wouldn't take it for granted, that we wouldn't just say, okay, that's great, and I know my life is good now, and I'm not going to go to hell, and that's awesome, but we would recognize that this changes our lives every day if it's true. Help us to believe that it is. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you are able to save to the uttermost. Thank you that you're holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is what we will profess about you now, today, tomorrow, and forever. It's all this we pray, Jesus, your name, precious name, amen.